Let's just go through some, uh, some overview information here. I want to show you some pictures. I have to duck down here. The, uh, the overall idea, uh, the structure, it pretty much follows what we, we've been doing for the, since the beginning of the study, right? And we've talked about this. It's, it follows the pattern. You have an opening address. You have a description of Christ. And today, the description is going to be really special, actually. Uh, the description of the Son of God and going to give us a few things about that. And just the assessment of the church, the command to the church, actually what they need to do, the promise and the call to listen, as well as the, the uh, promise to the overcomer, uh, overcomer in there. Um, when we talked about uh, archaeological, I'll move out of the way a little bit. When we talk about archaeology, uh, Thyatira is actually a, a complicated place to get too much archaeology out of it because what happened was they, they pretty much built a new city on top of what used to be there. All right, so if you go online, this is probably one of the few pictures you're going to find about the place, and you can tell it's completely surrounded by what's been built upon what used to be there. So archaeologically, it's, uh, it's, it's a complicated place to... Um, uh, to find much information about it. But I want to I get your attention to the, to the statement right here by Hammer, and that made me regret a little bit choosing Thyathira as one of my options for teaching because it's the longest and the most difficult of the seven letters, um, and it's also the least known. And it makes sense, right? You don't know much about the place location, so it becomes more complicated, and all of a sudden you're dealing with a lot more verses than Smyrna, which is just four. Right, We've got 11, 12 verses here now. So let me just, I'm not going to give you too much here. You have the paper in front of you. I'm just going to highlight a few things for you. Um, Thyatira actually served as an important center for manufacturing. So um, if you look at the map, and you remember when we studied Smyrna, Smyrna was about 40 miles north of Ephesus, which is the most important city of that time. Thyatira was all the way up here, close to per Pergamon. Philadelphia, but also in a route to uh, Smyrna as well as the other cities here. So you can tell when you're involved or close to many bigger cities, you produce something that everybody needs, you become pretty popular, right? So the manufacturing here was actually something that, that took place and it was, it was very important for them as well as the military. There's, there's some, some uh, things that were found out about a military function in this area. Um, the other thing that you need to know, and as, as I study this, it made me think about uh, what we hear about unions nowadays. And I, I don't know much. I grew up overseas, so I'm just starting to get to know, you know, the, the process of unions in the U.S. But uh, the city was known for the trade guilds. Uh, and so they had tanners, dyers, and bronze workers, which is going to be uh, interesting because Christ is going to make a comment about this, this city in relationship to to an aspect of, of, of this passage here. Uh, it was particularly, particularly known by the dyeing industry, and, and, and that should probably bring our attention to actually cha uh, Acts chapter 16, verse uh, 14, I think, or 1 through 4, and, uh, and the story of Lydia, who was a, a seller of purple dye or purple uh, products, and um, she was probably an overseas agent, okay? So she traveled to be able to sell those things. And, 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 and I mentioned the word union um, because this comes to mind. And here, here's, here's what I want you to see about this. This city produced many, many goods. But if you're not part of this union, 
uh, you had a hard time doing your own job, so you had, to, you had to be part of this process, be part of this union to be able to sell and produce the things that they had. But if you're not part of that, it was very hard for you economically. But as you go to any college nowadays and you have what, what you guys call fraternities, you're part of a fraternity, you're part of everything that they believe, right? So they had their own gods, they had their own deities, they had their own things that they do. And so as just as part of a union or a fraternity, you have to follow every single step that they offer. And that, that made things really hard for a person who was a believer in Jesus Christ. Because you're not going to worship false gods and you're not going to actually be part of whatever they, they're doing, right? So it complicates things, not only economically because now you have to provide for your family, but now spiritually because you don't want to follow what they follow. So that made things a little bit different. Um, Thyatira was actually uh, the, the, the biggest god, lower G god, and there was Apollos, which is the sun god uh, or the son of Zeus. And that's going to be interesting as we look at the text right now based on the description that Christ is going to give about himself. So let's, let's dive into this. Uh, chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, it says this. To the angel of the church of Thyatira, write the following. This is a solemn pronouncement of the Son of God, the one whose eyes like fiery flame and whose feet are like polished bronze. So... We have two things, two descriptions here about this Son of God. Why don't you give me them right now? Just, just repeat them uh, as you see right there on verse 18. So it talks about his, his eyes and talked about his and his feet are relate to, I'm just going to write the word bronze here, okay? So I have two aspects of this, of this son of God. Look at the first one here really quickly. Interesting, this is the only place in Revelation where you're going to find the word son of God, okay? And I think, once again, this idea of son of God has to do with the idea of Apollos being the son of Zeus, okay? So... The eyes like raging fire, that, that image indicates a statue, insight, and judgment. So it's, it's actually, the idea here is a raging fire, okay? And, and this seems to be a description that's taken all the way from Daniel. So any, anybody can turn to Daniel chapter 10, verse 6. And if I have somebody else, Revelation chapter 19, verse 12. Can I have two volunteers, Daniel chapter 10, Anybody? Revelation 19, Eugene, Daniel chapter 10, verse 6. If you find Daniel chapter 10, verse 6, you can just, just read it. All right, so, so just, just think with me for a second. So, so Daniel uses this idea of the Son of God all the way in the Old Testament, right? So now, now you have John writing this thing, these things to the church, and he, and he says that the Son of God, Eyes like fiery flame, right? Uh, or fire, fiery frame, f f uh, fiery flame, frame, flame, thing. All right, it's been a long week. Uh, but, but the idea is there, there's a righteous indignation here. There, there's judgment, okay? The, the Son of God is actually portrayed as, as, a, as a ruling authority. He, he, he's being described here as someone who has not only the power to do so, 
but he's willing to do so because he's just, okay? Now, on top of page number two, you have, you have the uh, feet like polished bronze. This also reinforces the idea here of his, of his uh, majestic uh, heavenly glory, okay? That would be, once again, a, de- a description here of Revelation chapter 1, verse 15 that says his feet were like polished bronze. So he, he's already used this description here, and now he's referring back to it as, as just a way of communicating not only this, this God, this, this, this Son of God is able to have righteous indignation, but he's also a heavenly uh, being that's glorious. Um, now, let's look at the body of the letter. I, I want to I focus on verse 19 here really quick. And I want, you, I want you to tell me what he knows. Remember, um, when we studied the, 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 the letter to Smyrna, I said that I told you that this is a really interesting study if you focus just on what he knows throughout the seven letters. So he's going to say some things here that the Son of God knows, okay? So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask you, why don't you read right now verse, verse 19. Just tell me, what does he know? What does he know? Okay? So their love, faith, did I, did I hear service? Okay, so endurance. So he knows four things about this church, okay? Now, this is really interesting because let's just go through here, here the description. So their love. Uh, now, you remember the, the, church, of, the church of Ephesus, they, 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 they kept the faith, right? They, they were able to keep their theology all the way up here, but the one thing that, that, that Christ actually tells them that they're new, not doing very well is the fact that they forgot their first love, right? Now, now the description here, the Son of God is saying, I know that you love, your love is, is, is evident, okay? They have not forgotten their first love, so this is the first thing you need to know. Second, their, their faithfulness or their, their faith. In your notes, you have the, a statement from, from Osborne that says faith is even more central to the book, describing not only trust in God, rather in, in this world, but even more a faithful perseverance in the midst of oppression and pressure from pagans. So remember the idea of if you're not part of the union and you're not serving those lower G gods, it's really hard for you to be faithful because there will be some challenges along the way okay they probably didn't didn't open their bibles anywhere they went to okay that's that's the idea here they're faithful to what god has called them to be third uh, the description here of of service i know your service and, and the term here is an indication um of ministering to others uh, this past sunday we had uh, our first sunday as the opening for our missions conference at CBF, and I had the privilege to preach, and I preached the text from 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 through 11. But if you look at 1 Peter 1, uh, 4, 1 through 11, you're going to realize that Peter's going to address them saying, you need, you, need to, you need to have some internal transformation in your mind to be able to apply certain things that I have for you. And the things that he says from verses 7 to 11 are these. He says, you need to be, you need to be in prayer constantly. 
Then he says, you need to love fervently, okay? And then he's going to say, you need to serve one another. Now, listen, the church, in, the church that Peter is writing to is probably located in the same area. So he's writing to a bunch of individuals who have scattered to this location. And he's saying, your service is significant. The way you serve one another, the way you love one another, the way your faith is seen not only towards one another, but you're faithful to me. And the last thing here is your endurance. Now, this is a, this is a key in the book of Revelation. And, uh, and this church is actually described as a church who is enduring. So now, I have a statement on the bottom of, your, of this page, not at the bottom, but in the middle of this page here that says, the Lord knows, and I have an open blank in there. Now, as you look at those four words here, uh, you have four significant things that the believers were supposed to be displaying as they live their, their, their Christian life, right? But how do we describe those four words if you had two words to describe them? What would you use to describe if like, the Lord knows and the Lord knows? What would you say? I'll give you a hint. Both of the words starts with Q. Say that again. Okay, so God knows the quality and, and the quantity. Okay? So here's what he knows. He knows certain things, and they're very specific, but as an overall picture... Those four things fall under two categories. He knows the quality of their works and he knows the quantity of their works. Which means that, and that's an application for us, whatever you do in the dark, he knows. And he not only knows, he knows if it's good and he knows how much. And that was certainly addressed here. Now, Let's go through the weakness. Do you guys have any questions? Anything that stands out so far? Any comments, complaints? <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. So he hasn't stopped, right? So he, know, he, knows, he knows the quantity. This is like... We don't love today and tomorrow we forget about it, right? This has been a constant uh, demonstration of, of their works. It, it's visible. Great. Let's go through the weakness of this church right here. The weakness of this church. Now, I want, I want to give you 30 seconds just for you to skim through verses uh, 20 to 23. Just, just 30 seconds, and, and, and here's the question that I want to ask you. What is, as you read this, what is the weakness of this church? Okay? Just. Okay. Okay. Tim. So pollution, tolerating certain things. Anybody else? What did you guys see on those verses? Sexual immorality, that's, that's kind of like what's going on, kind of the consequence of that, right? Let, eating food sacrificed to idols. 
Yeah. Corruption. So let me read the verse again. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and by her teaching deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality, okay, and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent, but she's not willing to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I'm throwing her onto a bed of violent illness, and those who commit adultery with her into terrible suffering unless they repent of her deeds. Furthermore, I will strike her followers with a, de a deadly disease, and then all the churches will know that the one who searches minds and hearts, I will repay each one of you what your deeds deserve. Now, let's, let's look through this really quickly here. And I forgot to click here. This is a stretching exercise for me. All right, so here, here's what we know. Uh, what, we can, what we can figure out is this, that most people believe that the next three verses here are just a, a description of their theological, uh, the lack of theological and ungodly behavior, in a sense, okay? So, so what's going on here? The weakness is just a lack of theological position. Remember the church of Ephesus? They forgot the love but they were theologically strong. This church is compromising theologically, but they're loving one another, which means at the end of the day, the much you know, the more you know, the more you should apply. But if you don't know something, you might apply that same very application in the wrong way. So let's look at this way. Let's look right here. What's, what, who's Jezebel, the identity of this, of this person here? So Jezebel was a, was a Phoenician wife, of Ahab, who led the northern kingdom, kingdom into Baal worship. Uh, you remember that story from 1 Kings. Similar to the label ba uh, Balaam, uh, Jezebel served as a label for the, for the female counterpart of a teacher who leads God's people into idolatry. So now there's four, four main ideas here. Number one is that she was a pagan prophetess that's associated with the gods' uh, Sibyl. Um, now, this is, this, is, uh, this is just what some people believe, but it's probably, it's very unlikely, okay? There's probably no relation whatsoever with this, but this is just an option. Is that she was a wife of a pastor of Thyatira, which there's an early variant in one of the manuscripts that's, that's used the word, the, the, the pronoun here, your, and um, before Jezebel, and the variant is very unlikely in its reading, okay? So it's probably not that option either. The third option is a symbol of a particular movement. As, as we look at the text here, we, we realize that most likely this points to a leader, that she was a leader rather than a, 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 a group of individuals uh, combined here. Now, the last option might be the most preferable one here, that he was just a, an unknown uh, prominent woman uh, in the church. And so the lack of evidence here results in mere, mere speculation. From the text, we can surmise that she was a leader of the movement. So he, here's what I think as I read this. God's not worried about giving, her the, giving us a description of the, who this lady is, but he's worried about giving us the description of her actions. Okay? And so the question that come up here is, is, what are the reasons, what reasons led the Lord to announce judgment in this 
part of Revelation chapter 2, verse 20 to 23. What do you think? What were the reasons God would bring judgment or announce judgment here? So, so there's a dangerous of whatever she's teaching, she's going to lead people astray. What else? Martonio. So they're now involved with sexual immorality. What else? Yeah, God is God is punishment. There, there's 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 consequence. God's saying, "Hey, this is not what this is not what I want. This is against my will, right?" So, I, I want you to just observe here with me for just for a second uh, what the Lord states about Jezebel. Okay, because once again, I don't think I don't think the Lord is worried about telling us about her, who she is, but about her character. Okay, and the character is going to say a few things here. One of them is. Um, that she was a self-identified prophetess. Look at verse 20. It says again, but I have this against, against you. You tolerate that woman who calls herself a prophetess. Okay? So she's not really a prophetess, but she calls herself that way. Okay? Number two, and here's a very dangerous statement, and I think Martonio mentioned that. She, she seduced believers to sin, which means that she, she announced that sexual immorality in their conduct was okay. Now remember, to keep your, your, uh, your job in Thyatira, you had to walk with the people that do this kind of stuff here. You had to be part of their culture. And so such involvement actually entailed the participation of the, the guild feast, and, and you have the description. They had to honor their own gods. And so non-participation on those would be economically, that would be very hard for you. Now, <laughs> I know you're going to go home today and, and you're going to probably, most of you are going to go back and, and do your job. And I am not worried about you participating in anything like this because that's not what's going on in this country, at least up to, the, up to this point. Things might be challenging, but not up to this point. But what could cause us to stumble as we go to do our work. I know vaccines is the issue now. Do I get vaccinated or not? There's many others that could come up. Nothing related to this. But we face different, different situations here, right? We have, we have different challenges. I'm going to give an application that we did last night on our boys' Bible study, okay? And this is not on, my, on, on our study here. But here's, here's the idea. You're probably familiar with 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, right? The Lord, the, the, the devil walks around like a lion, ready to devour. That's why in the New Testament, you're not supposed to walk by yourself. All right? And the idea that we talked last night in the boys' Bible study about discipline of purity or to be pure in heart and all, not only sexually but to be pure is that we link arms together with each other and I know that that's hard for men to do but here's just a practical application of that now here's here's the next thing that we see 
Verse 21, she, she failed to repent. And this is extremely significant because look at this. Look what the Lord ha has said. He says in verse 21, I have given her time to repent, but she's not willing to repent of her sexual immorality. Hey, he, he's offered her multiple chances to do this. Listen, turn away from your sins, turn away from your sins, and all of a sudden there's consequences. And the consequences are not only for her, but for the people that she's dragging along, that she's leading astray. And here's the last one. She and her followers will be judged. They will be judged. Sin and suffering resulting from sin is not a foreign, to, foreign thing to Scripture, right? There, there, there's judgment that happens all the time. But while this judgment could be associated with the future judgment in the tribulation period, the context here suggests that she's going to go through immediate, uh, they're going to go through immediate judgment. Now, listen to this statement right here. The words uh, who commit idolatry in verse 22 and the followers of verse 23 are most likely two different ways of contrasting the same group of believers who were being influenced by Jezebel to engage in her ungodly practices. So you look at verse 22, it says, Look, I'm throwing her onto bed of a violent illness and those who commit adultery with her into terrible suffering unless they repent of her deeds. Now it says, furthermore, which explains the, the previous point, I will strike her followers with a deadly disease, and then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts. Now let me ask you a question. What is the purpose of the judgment? What is the, the, what is the purpose of the judgment? Okay, to, to stop what's going on. But what's, what's the consequence of that? And what is, what is going to come into the pronouncement here? What is, what is he actually saying? I will do this, so look at verse 23. Now all the churches will know. Now here's what he knows. And now he wants all the churches to know that God is the one that's going to punish men, the consequences, the idea of depravity, lack of vigilance when it comes to keeping God's word, right? Now, can any one of you, could I have a volunteer to read Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10 for us. Did you find my Martonia? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10. So, so do you remember the significance of being a prophet, right? And a prophet is a person that knows the things of God, right? And, and God is actually saying, I'm going to judge her because she says she understands the minds and the hearts. And Jeremiah says, no, no, <laughs> there's only one. And God's going to do that very clearly. He's going to say, listen, you don't know the minds and the hearts of the people. I do. And I'm going to judge not only your heart, but your mind and your actions. And so that's a warning for us. Now, let me... Let me go through the admonition of the church, verse 24. You guys have any comments so far? If you have any complaints, that's uh, Tom Flynn's department right there on the back. Um, the admonition, Revelation chapter 2, verse 24 to 25. 
It says this, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, all who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned the so-called deep secrets of Satan, to you I say, I do not put any additional burden on you. However, listen to this, hold on to what you have until I come. Now, let me go through two different things here really quickly. First admonition, he talks about the, the deep secrets of uh, Satan in here. And uh, what you need to know about this is that deep secrets were probably Jeze Jezebel's claim to fame. That's the last sentence on the first paragraph right there. But Christ is going to expose the diab diabolical character of her teachings, okay? He's giving her time. She's not repentant. Now he's going to expose it. So that, remember verse 23, that all the churches will know not only his teachings, but her false teachings in comparison to each other. Now he says, I do these, I do these things so that I don't place any burden on you, right? However, verse 25, hold on to what you have until I come. Now, the idea of no other burden here, and there's different, different uh, speculations in this, but the context uh, seems to be a promise that looks forward, right? In other words, there's no extra requirement than, than simply remaining faithful to the Lord, The Lord's going to cast Jezebel and her children or her followers into conditions of unparalleled suffering, verse 22 to 23. But he does not cast upon the faithful anything worse than keep doing what they are already doing. And that's a statement from Thomas right here. Look at the last one. Christ is also call, calling the believers to take responsibility rather or, that neither Jezebel nor her followers will teach freely in the congregation of believers. Now remember, I want to point your attention to this again. They have strong love. They have strong faith. Their service is off the charts. They're enduring a tremendous amount of suffering here. But they're allowing this woman to come and teach ungodly things to godly people. And that's not right. And that's why judgment and admonition are placed. Now let's get to the, uh, the, the, final, the final three verses here as we conclude this section. Um, verse 26. And to the one who conquers and who continues in my deeds until the end, I'll give him the authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod and like clay jars, he will break them to pieces. Just as I have received the right to rule from my father, I will give him the morning star. The one who has an ear had better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, let's, let's conclude this. This is going to end like unlikely any other letter has ended so far. But there's a few things that that we see here. And so there's two promises. Do you, you guys see the promises in there? What are they? What promises does, the, do we have in here? Well, 
Okay, so the first one is, the first promise is the authority over nations, right? And the second one is, is the promise of the morning star. Now let's look through this, the, the two promises here. The, the authority over nations actually is a paraphrase from Psalm chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And uh, believer, which says believers will participate in ruling over the nations on the earth, right? From, you see that in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 19, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 as well. This is a, a strong graphic imagery here that indicates that all the saints will destroy all those who oppose the Lord. And that's what's going on with Jezebel. She's opposing the Lord by teaching something that's contrary to him. Now, second, there's the idea that this morning star will be giving, okay? And we have several proposals here that indicate that First one is an allusion to Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Second, it's an allusion to Satan in Isaiah chapter 14. Number three, it's an allusion to Numbers. Could be an allusion to Numbers uh, 24 and the Messianic overtones in there. Number four, a reference to Christ as seen in Revelation 26, 16. And number five, a reference to the planet Venus, okay? <laughs> That's probably not it. Um, I, here's what it looks like. Based on the text here and what we've seen so far, most likely the reference here entails a combination of, uh, of the views that Christ allows the church to share his messianic authority as well as his divine sovereignty and ultimately, ultimately his victory. Okay? Because here's the thing. He will be victorious. So now let me give you some applicational points here, how we can intersect as we move forward. First one you have as believers, we're viewed as enemies by the prince of this world. Isn't that true? Isn't that what Jezebel was trying to do in her teachings? We must not forget that we are in a spiritual battle, and I'm not going to read Ephesians chapter 6, but you know that you need to stand firm. B, Unlike the pressures, unlike the pressures uh, of paganism placed on the, on the church of Pergamon, the church of Thyatira received pressure primarily from an economic standpoint, and I would even put it right here, from an ungodly prophetess that brought ungodly teachings to a godly congregation. So Thyatira received that, and we cannot compromise or walk with the Lord in order, in order to attain financial gain or security. Now listen, don't sell your soul for a better bank account. It's not worth it. Randy Alcorn said one time that the one who has Christ has just as much as the one who has Christ plus everything in this world. And that is true. And Christ is everything. Lastly, uh, we need to be growing in the things of the Lord. And I would add to this too, you need to be growing together. Okay? You need to be growing together. Compare how you're doing in the areas of love, faith, service, and steadfast endurance from three years ago until today. And do you see an improvement? All right, let's pray together then. Father, just thank you so much for this day. Um, 
I pray, Father, that we would never take your word for granted, that we would show love, faith, service, endurance, but that we would show those things based upon the foundation that we understand theologically that who you are dictates how we live. And so, Father, I pray for every single man here. We're not created to be by ourselves. We're not created to be alone. We're not created to be apart from you. And I pray that all those things, then when we combine our relationship with you, that that relationship with you will overflow in the areas of our fellowship with one another. Father, help us to understand that we're not here to sacrifice anything, but you have sacrificed everything for us. To live for you is like Paul said, it's, it's gain. So Father, I, I just pray, give us endurance. Help us to be steadfast in our love and our service and our dedication for you and help us to, let, to have a theological foundation that goes deep and wide, deep and wide. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.